everyone, and welcome to After the Movie Podcast. This is a movie, this is a movie review podcast where uh, the five of us, but today we're joined by a special guest. So we have six, Dr. Dan Hill, PhD. Dr. Dan, you want to say hi? Sure. Hi. <laughs> <laughs> so our movie review today is going to be on Deliverance, a movie chosen by Dan. Dan has been featured on ABC's Good Morning America, as well as NBC's The Today Show on the front page of the New York Times. He's got 20, over 20 years of experience, um, primarily working in facial recognition and analysis. And if any of that's wrong, go ahead, feel free to stop me. But um, <laughs> I'll, I'll fix it later. <laughs> <Okay>. <laughs> He's the author of eight books, and uh, we're, we feel very honored to have him, have him with us. I'm looking forward to a lot of fun, so I'm happy to be here. Thank you. <laughs> so I guess that we'd like to get started the way that we normally do, and that is a star rating, one out of, or out of five, as well as, you know, a watch or don't watch. But as you recommended this movie, I'm assuming that it's a watch for you. That would be true. <laughs> <laughs> so what's your rating on the star scale? Well, it's not my favorite movie from the 70s. That's actually Network, so I will give it a four but I'm going to give it an absolutely watch because uh, there's a rather infamous scene that is um, unforgivable and I'm <laughs> unforgivable and very memorable. <laughs> All right, let's throw it over to Quinn. What do you think? All right. So, um, yeah, I didn't care for this movie too much. Uh, so I'm going to give it a two star rating. But you definitely should watch it just because it has so it's referenced constantly and uh all kinds of different uh shows and tv and everything so definitely a watch but only two stars out of me and bags so i actually have never heard of this movie before we watched it um but then as we were going along i i started to realize oh yeah there is a lot of references in popular culture so surprisingly i actually gave this movie a five out of five and definitely wow. watch the movie for oh today. <laughs> <laughs> so, Martin, what do you think? Whoa, uh, that's John Voight. Yeah, right I did. I have mm -hmm. dressed myself up as John Voight. I thought we were all doing this today. I thought we agreed on that. <laughs> one of the crazy hillbillies. <laughs> But not one in the infamous scene. One, one of the other ones. <laughs> I couldn't find my skin-tight romper to be Burt Reynolds, but that was my pick. <laughs> that wetsuit top. <laughs> Amazing. Oh. Uh, well, I would give this movie a three stars and a watch. And that brings us to Dane. Um, like, uh, most of us in the group here, I had not seen this one before. Uh, I knew all about it just from all the references. I definitely, after watching it, uh, I see what the hype's about. I'd give it a four star out of five. Definite watch. I think that I would only give it a three because it just, I just thought it was okay. I thought it was entertaining the whole time I watched it, but I didn't find it to be particularly amazing. So I would say a three-star, but definitely watch it. I think it's definitely worth a watch. I did find it entertaining, and I was engaged the whole time. So but Wasn't it kind of boring, though? And didn't you think that it was just the sensors <laughs> dropping? 
jumping right into it. All of the censorship. It's all about the one rape scene. That's all this is. It's like a clockwork orange. It's like, oh, we can show rape now. Let's show rape. And then it's like (laughs) kind of muddles along. And then there's a rape scene. And then it kind of muddles along. And then it kind of just ends. (laughs) See, I don't think that. (laughs) I don't think that's true at all. I I don't. I don't agree. I don't. I, I agree. It was canoeing, rape, and then a little more canoeing, and then it was about done. <laughs> mountain climbing too, Martin. Oh, yeah. Oh, yeah. Goodness. And all of a sudden, John Boyd is a free solo mountain climber going up that, that vertical face. ass. <laughs> That's sheer cliff. There, there was no stuntman in this movie, by the way. They couldn't afford it. Is that right? right? Yeah. Oh, yeah. So, so John Boyd really mean, did In fact, that the man. Burt Reynolds character broke his tailbone. So this movie was for Reynolds literally a pain in the ass to film. <laughs> I, I'm going to wear this That's mustache good. with more pride now. Yeah. All right. This is You're great. John Voight, though. <laughs> yeah, oh, John Voight climbed the cliff. There was That's no, amazing. Like uh, Doc is saying, there, there, they had no, no stuntmen or doubles or anything. I think the budget of the movie was just right at a million dollars. Yeah, hard, and, hard and in to fact, make Jack, anything with a yeah, million dollars. Jack Nicholson wanted to be in the movie, but he asked for 500,000, 500, which was half the budget for the movie. So <laughs> into that. So, Dan, I what made you imagine. pick this movie? Wow. Well, for, for one thing, I actually had been down this river. Um, oh, wow. I used to do a lot of consulting work in South Carolina. So, one spring, uh, when they was just opening up, I went up there and went down whitewater rafting. And it was really a wild river. They had one guide per each passenger, which tells you that that's not how you make money running a uh, expedition <laughs> company. So it, it was that crazy. And they said that they'd never seen the river that crazy. And they didn't even let us go down like the last four miles. We had to get out, but there was these constant drops. So that's one thing, but uh, it all reminded me of, I went on a two week canoe trip with some friends up in the boundary waters in Northern Minnesota summer after ninth grade. And fortunately, it wasn't as bad as this, but it wasn't a lot of fun because uh, you get two weeks with nine guys. I, I went into it. They were all friends. By the end of the trip, I only liked two of the guys. Most of the rest, I never wanted to talk to again. Yeah. See, it was just a friendship test. You were just testing which ones were true friends and which ones weren't. Yeah, like one guy you know, cut his foot on the very first portage. Another guy stole food. There was endless fights over who, who for, for the beers. I mean, it was just, you know. A shit fest all the way through. <laughs> so we similarly went on a on a trip to California, and uh, Martin was the one who cut his head, and we don't like him. And then we brought much <laughs> food and had to hike it down the mountain uh, after we hiked it all the way up nine hundred feet or eight hundred feet. I don't. Remember. Also, we almost got arrested on a creek canoeing for underage drinking. That's correct. Yeah. <laughs> By uh, this the all same the way police back, officer like uh... who had just previously busted us for underage drinking. Yeah, he arrested him the first night and he let him go the second. Yeah. He's nice. <laughs> <laughs> but we got away for supplying. Yeah, yeah that was great. <laughs> that was a bigger issue, and I'm happy you guys got away with that. <laughs> totally worth the $600 that it costs. <laughs> didn't, didn't cost bags, and, uh, and me and, and our other friend Josh had a dime. Right. You find out who your friends are when they don't help you pay for the drinking ticket they provided. Scott free, baby. Our Absolutely. job was providing the alcohol. And we're not advocating for underage drinking. It's not just, at all. It's just how just it a, Just a lowering of the, of the legal age. We are advocating for that. But yeah, I am advocating that. for that. We like that. 
Yeah, on, on our trip, we were all underage and drinking. And at one point, we ended up on the Canadian uh, boundary, and there was a uh, you know a little grocery store. So lo and behold, I found myself sitting on a gigantic rock with a friend uh, above a pen of hogs, and we were eating spam. And I said, this, this is this is really degenerating quickly. <laughs> <laughs> was this after you had seen Deliverance? No, no. This, well, actually, it, it is after I'd seen Deliverance, truth be told, yes. So, <laughs> so you just heard so, the banjos the whole time? Is that... uh, we, didn't have, we didn't run into any banjo players up in the North Woods. But, uh... <laughs> what about hillbillies? Are there hillbillies in here? No, there was moose. Okay. <laughs> That's even scarier. <laughs> in a manner of speaking, yes. <laughs> When they go crazy because of the mosquitoes and the flies, yes, you better watch out. Nine guys like, just wondering who's going to be the Ned Beatty out of the group. Yeah. <laughs> we didn't discuss the movie. Where did we? Where did we take do that do that scene? I must say. Oh, yeah. In fact, Ned Beatty didn't want to do that scene. There's only one take of that scene in the movie. He told him up front, one time only. Thank you very much. So I was actually kind of surprised by that because I felt like for a '70s male actor to do a male rape scene. I thought that was pretty crazy. I, th I would figure it would be a hard, hard get. Is Ned Beatty chubby Hard's or the assaulter mountain man? He is chubby. 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 Okay. He's well, a piggy. Well, there's a couple of interesting things there, actually. Um, you know, Ned Beatty was just starting his career. So he was just happy to be in a movie oh, until he was happy to be really in this movie or in that <laughs> particular scene. He said that the rest of his life had haunted him. He would be places and people would say to him out of the blue, squeal like a pig for me. Mm. <laughs> and he, you know, and in a sense that's funny, but in another sense, he said it really actually scarred him for life. The amazing thing is if you think about Network, the movie I, I actually like a bit better from five years later, he plays the guy who, you know, owns UBS Network. So he's in a power position five years later. He's decidedly not in one in this scene. <laughs> so I'm only familiar with him playing like government officials um, before this. I hadn't seen this. So I, I do think it's kind of interesting that he kind of shifted his career into a powerful, you know, portraying powerful figures. I thought that was pretty. Yeah, no, those are, those are two very different roles. This bumbling, you know, Atlanta businessman up in the woods versus the powerful tycoon. <laughs> I so can quick. honest to God say I have never heard of Ned Beatty until this movie, and I don't think I've seen anything else with him in it. Yeah, same here. Unfortunately, he seems like a, nice, a good enough actor. What other ones besides uh, Network would you say would be good to check him out, get his, uh, a sense of his chops? Uh, That's the only one I can think of, but I, I love Network. There's an old line from Fran Libowitz who said, the uh, the more cynical I get, I, I still can't keep up <laughs> with what's going on in the world. That, that's network for you. I mean, that movie oh. was so prescient as to uh, the whole media landscape and where our society was heading. Okay. Gonna have to check that one out for sure. Yeah, he was also in... Oh, I'm sorry. Go on, Alex. No, no, Quinn, go ahead. I was just gonna make a joke. I was just saying that Ned Beatty got his start on this movie. Just goes to show the lesson here, kids, is when some <laughs> movie producer comes to your door and offers you a <laughs> maybe makes you a little uncomfortable you take it and you just ask questions <laughs> that's kind of like what ray charles used to say too right you know i don't give a damn what you say about me as long as you spell my name right yeah <laughs> he was in uh he was in that that stupid marky mark movie shooter um, i never saw that one yeah I well you're not missing it. much 
Um, <laughs> next week, but no. <laughs> <laughs> and then he was also in Charlie Wilson's War. Ah, uh, yeah. Sure. Really? Yeah. Really? He played, uh, he played the chair of a subcommittee, a defense spending ch- subcommittee. So, hmm. Yeah, he makes That's a good congressman. Yeah. That's funny because I actually really enjoyed Charlie Wilson's War. I just don't recall him seeing him there whatsoever. Oh. That's every day of my life, Dane. So welcome to my world. <laughs> <laughs> so guys, so this- I was wondering, did he really kill the right man? Was the brother-in-law mm. really the right man? No, no, no. Mm. He killed the wrong guy. Because they did mm. show him missing the teeth that he had a bridge in. But he wasn't missing the same teeth, I don't think. I, they looked like different teeth to me. Is this supposed to be something? I thought it was a I sure thing. I can't tell the difference between people, but he can tell the difference between I teeth. I never forget a set of teeth, <laughs> <laughs> I never, ever forget a tooth. <laughs> Well, did I tell you the sponsor for the movie was the Atlanta D- Dental Association? No. <laughs> I think that was. I think I saw that in the credits actually. <laughs> um, I don't know. See, because that's kind of where I thought the story was was heading. After you know the craziness is, were these characters justified in their actions, and and was this in fact? you know, defense, or were they getting hyper-scared because they had a hyper-scary thing happen? Well, yeah, I think that, I thought the first time that he murdered them would have been a justified murder, a ju- right. justified killing. Right, the arrow. And But yeah. that's just because, and they talk about the law a lot, and it establishes that when it's in the heat of the moment in self-defense, it's justifiable. But then after that, they kind of went looking for the guy, and they looked for revenge. They said it was self-defense, but because they said that uh, Drew got shot. Right. And mm-hmm. they never prove it. They never prove it. And I don't think they just said that because they felt guilty that he killed himself um, because of what happened. Yeah. No, I, think, I, I think that's really the point of the movie ultimately is they went into the wild to get away from their boring, you know, suburban jobs. And then they discovered the, the wildness is actually inside them in terms mm-hmm. of their willingness to cover up and do things and even perhaps engage in premeditated murder they're you know toward the end of the movie so you know the the country people aren't so nice and uh they're not so nice either nobody comes out of this with clean hands mm-hmm. yeah well and then I, yeah. it also did a good job of showing that you know it's not everybody in the country because the other people you know there's a big question in the beginning are their cars going to be there when they when they get back and i felt like they were kind of setting it up for the fact that the people that they entrusted their vehicles to were going to be the perpetrators because they knew that they were out in the woods, but that doesn't seem to be the case because their cars were waiting where they were supposed to be. Mm-hmm. I don't well, know. I that's like a broader, I think that's like a broader comment on just the fact that you can't <laughs> like judge a book by its cover. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Yeah. But, well, I think so too, but I think that it's, I mean, I think it's worth noting for, for the fact that it was, I, I found that entertaining. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I liked when those three mountain men didn't rape that guy. That was great. <laughs> That's the best part of the movie. The center part. And eh, not so much for me, but uh, <laughs> it went downhill after that. 
Well, so, uh, there, there, there's, there's an interesting thing going back to the infamous rape scene. So the other mountain man who's along at that moment, uh, the, the one who engages in the rape is a professional actor. The other guy was not. Um, he was, they were looking for someone else to throw in the role. They had no budget. And uh, Burt Reynolds thought of the fact that years ago in North Carolina, he had been in this kind of like Wild West show with this illiterate guy. And they found him somehow and they threw him in the movie and they said to the guy, you're only going to really be in one important scene. And they described it to him and they said to him something like, are you okay with that? And he said, ah, shucks, I've done far worse things than that. Uh, uh. <laughs> That's the... Yes. So this was, uh, this, I think, I didn't understand all the hype about Burt Reynolds. And this is actually the, the first and only movie I, I've seen Burt Reynolds in. And hmm. I have to admit that his character as Lewis, if I was camping or going on a canoe trip with him, I would absolutely despise this man because he annoyed <laughs> the piss out of me oh the entire God. movie. So we're not dealing with your next guy uh, crush. <laughs> <laughs> well, there was well, there wouldn't be one in here except for one of the hillbillies, probably. But <laughs> well, as long as you stay away from the banjo playing boy, then I guess we're, we're yeah. <laughs> <laughs> and that was a, that was a fantastic scene in the movie, the the dueling banjo. Yeah, that was that was oh, yeah. at mm -hmm. the beginning. But I think they found Classic. that kid at a grocery store. Like he was, just, they just like did an open call, like looking for hillbilly faces, and he had just showed up. And I think they got him. Yeah, but he's yeah. A, that's true. He's 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 a true what they used to call a savant, right? He really was an oh, banjo player. Player, I don't know. I actually, uh, I've seen a recent interview of the guy. He's like fifty now, or at least he was fifty some odd years old in the interview I saw him. He actually did not know how to play banjo at all. Oh, okay. And yeah, he was that. That was all just make believe him playing the. Martin is so distraught by that fact. No, that does, no, that can't be right. I watched his fingers. No, I was really impressed with that camera work too. Now that I find out that that's fake, because I really thought that was him playing, and I thought yeah. that I heard that trivia, but I wasn't sure. Mm. I don't like that. He's so he's just a kid at a grocery store. What's special about he's, that? Nothing. He. <laughs> The specialness, I guess, was that he looked like he was probably inbred. Like I think that was the only reason they got him. <laughs> you know. Well, I don't, I don't believe the truth from that scene. But apparently, the the um, the banjo player had his hands around the kid and was was playing it while the the camera was just on the so Hollywood movie magic. magic. That's amazing. It was really that just a muppet. Well, the movie is inbred in a different way. You know, the, the sheriff is actually the, the uh, writer of the novel, James Dickey. Mm -hmm. Oh, okay. And, and he, he oh, hated wow. how they were changing his book for the script. So at one point, off camera, of course, he actually punched the director in the face. <laughs> <laughs> oh, man. So it really raises the question, you know, who's the law here? Mm-hmm. <laughs> <laughs> I thought another It'll good scene for Reynolds, like waking up and giving him the old wink, the old charmer. <laughs> yeah. Oh. Yeah. Yeah. How, Begs, how didn't you fall for him at that moment with that I wink? Can't. If the wetsuit <laughs> didn't get you, why did the wink not? I don't know. <laughs> fall in love with him if you watch Smokey and the Bandit. The only thing that was, that was, you know, pretty attractive about Burt Reynolds was his arms <laughs> and chest hair. And that's. Yeah, how did his face get so fat when he was super ripped? Didn't he look chunky in the face? 
They hit it with the, the vest? It's just eggs. That's all it is. <laughs> Now we're back on eggs. His entire diet, huh? <laughs> we're definitely eggs building a formula here. Hands with men and eggs. Dr. Dan, what's your opinion of eggs? <laughs> well, I, I haven't facially coated a lot of them, but uh, I like to eat them. <laughs> Could you author your next I, book on the facial coating of the chickens that lay the eggs that we eat? Oh, yeah. <laughs> I've I've been asked to go as far as looking at dogs and cats. I, I think I'll I'll leave it there. <laughs> <laughs> well, you heard it here. Yeah. Her, 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 never mind. So, Martin, well, you said you had some pretty big thoughts on this movie. What were they? Well, I, I got some of my jokes out of the way. Uh, <laughs> <laughs> one thing was uh this really tarnished the reputation of mountain men and uh, <laughs> me and Beggs as hillbillies ourselves you know really don't take kindly to that kind of portrayal because as no. hillbillies we are mountain men and also 132nd cherokee everybody knows that or 164th yeah right <laughs> it keeps going down every decade but it's there just look back <laughs> Don't take an ancestry test. They're Don't fine. ever. No, those are lies. <laughs> uh, that was most of my stuff. I was going to work Dolly Parton in there. I didn't have a really good joke for that. Uh, She's kind of a tough sell on this one. By the way, speaking of tough sells, I'm regretting my in memoriam of Jerry Stiller uh, for this dark topic. I tried to put it on last week, and I thought, oh, I'll figure it out this week. Now it seems somewhat less appropriate. <laughs> I also can't quite picture him on the river. Yeah. <laughs> no. Yeah. no imagine Jerry, a young Jerry Stiller in this movie. Oh, wow. That'd be. Ooh. He's a city boy through and through. I mean, yeah, he is. <laughs> so, Bags, what were some of your thoughts on it? Uh, well, other than the Burt Reynolds thing, I. I was really, at first I, I had initially gave a four rating and then I was thinking about it and I was like, this movie is like almost 50 years old and I'm debating on this, if, on if this is a four or a five. And I started reading about, you know, the, the cast actually doing all their own stunts and then John Voight doing the most anxiety producing scene ever climbing the, the cliff. I, I, I just kept wanting him to back away from it and get off of, get off the fucking cliff. But <laughs> it's uh, the only qualms I think I had was not um, enough when, canoeing. When well, <laughs> no, there's, there's a lot of canoeing. When Lewis or Ronald's character broke his femur, there's no way in hell that guy would have lived through that. He spent an entire night. He would have lost way too much blood, and that man definitely would have died. In no, movie. he plays the game bags lewis plays the game no so he, the game. he played the game and then he took the reins gave it to uh what what was john Voight's character's name ed ed, ed. ed? Yeah. he gave the reins over to ed and it was ed. well actually in this movie in the filming ned Beatty in one scene was submerged underwater for i think more than 30 seconds so they they, they you know they could they could have lost john Voight climbing the cliff and they could have lost you know Beatty underwater. It's uh, it was a pretty arduous movie to make. Did John yeah. have any safety tethers that were hidden in the production? I couldn't see any, but 
I went looking for photographs. I, I could not see any offhand, you know, that, you know, were kind of behind the scenes that let you know whether there was a safety net for the guy. I think they just kind of told him to climb the cliff. <laughs> <laughs> and uh, he was, he was desperate enough to do it, I guess. Wow. Been a Which, long time since Midnight Cowboy. He was looking for another hit. <laughs> oh, yeah, Midnight Cowboy. Which I just, just yeah, Midnight those... Cowboy is the same movie as this. It's the same beef I got with it. It doesn't not canoeing really and matter. rape. <laughs> what, what, what's your beef? <laughs> just about, so it does have a male on male sex scene, but it's just releasing. It's just the the lightning of the censorship. It's this one, a Clockwork Orange, uh, Midnight Cowboy. Yeah, I, I've always confused Dustin Hoffman and Burt Reynolds. <laughs> <laughs> Especially as rats, though. <laughs> I mean, this this movie, it just, I loved it because it had me on the edge of my seat the entire time. And I actually felt for a minute that I went camping with these guys. It was, I think it was very well done. It did that feel sounds like almost that. heartwarming, babe. Mm -hmm. <laughs> yeah, I, I loved it. <laughs> I don't know whether you're horrified or happy about that. <laughs> Dane, what'd you think of the movie? Yes. I thought it was fantastic. I thought it was great. Um, I watched it with the old lady, and uh, she thought it was really good, too. She definitely could have done without the uh, rape scene. But, I mean, everybody could have. Well, I think I mean, that was talk to Nut it's integral to the story. <laughs> well, a lot of people, I'm pretty sure, could have gone without that. But it was absolutely integral to the story. Um, yeah, I thought it was a really good one. You, uh, rape, Steve, you don't have a story. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> that would be, again, the, the point of my criticism of this movie. Without this rape scene, it's nothing. You could say the same thing for uh, the... You could make the argument that that could also be said about in uh, Pulp Fiction and Bruce Willis's story. Without the rape... You, you well, yeah, but... Oh, I'm yeah. sorry. Well, I was going to say, you got two people who die, so it's not just the, the rape scene. I, I do think it's a little bit ponderous, but to me, the whole thing where you've got the, you know, back in that year, the so-called New South that was rising economically, and they go out into the backwoods, and, uh, you know, I, to me, there's, there's a lot of extra meaning going on. I mean, the South is very religious. I mean, the, the uh, movie title, Deliverance, is never once referenced in the script in any fashion whatsoever yeah you know in the end I what they really need to be delivered from is themselves and human nature yeah. and good luck getting away from human nature yeah. i guess i take that point i did wonder exactly like what the the significance of the title was because i couldn't i couldn't really piece anything together with that but that's a that's a good thought that's an interesting thought well i, I used to spend a lot of time uh, on a business assignment in greenville south carolina and it was the strangest place there was so many Baptist churches right next to, it seemed, so many strip joints. I mean, it was just the <laughs> weirdest dichotomy going on. And uh, to me, that's kind of what the movie's about. And, you know, again, it's not my favorite movie. I think it's a bit ponderous, but there's a lot of tension. And I, I think there is some significance to the pictures painting, particularly back in that era. But, um, you know, it's on a lot of people's top 100 list of all times. I'm not sure if it's on mine, but, um, you know, it, it's um, it's an interesting movie. I'll put it that way, at least. <laughs> I can admit that it's an interesting. And for if I put it in context historically, I think that yeah, it would be shocking to me, and maybe be fantastic. Like if I watched this back in the seventies, I might think, "Whoa, like this is crazy." But now I don't know if it's aged as well. 
Could be. When, I, I remember from that year, I was up with my uh, grandmother one night. We were watching like the midnight, um, you know, talk show host, Tom Snyder. And that was just, as you said, kind of when all the, uh, you know, the uh, holds were coming off in terms of what you could show and discuss. Yeah. So I'm sitting there with my grandmother and uh, he says, well, tonight's topic will be masturbation. And my grandmother and I didn't say a word to each other. She just leaned forward, turned off the TV, and I said, good night, Grandma. <laughs> oh, wow. So, Dane, did you have a question you wanted to ask Quinn? <laughs> <laughs> Quinn, uh, Quinn, you said that uh, you were the only one in the group that had seen Deliverance before uh, this time uh, watching for the after the uh, after the movie. Uh, what were your thoughts on it the first time, and uh, were there any big differences that you saw or thoughts the second time viewing it? Uh, I would say, yeah, I I I watched it originally because I wanted to understand all the references that I saw to it. Um, and I wanted to see like how like shocking it would be to my conscious. And I watched it and I guess it wasn't too terrible. I, I don't know. I think I got kind of bored. I think it, I had to watch it in like two nights. Uh, Cause I think I fell asleep like the first night and then watching it again for the second time. I don't know. I just, it didn't really grow on me. Like, I didn't think, it wasn't like the second viewing was like, oh, man, I missed all this stuff. But I. Were you very young the first time you watched it? No, I think I watched it maybe two years ago. So I was like 25 or oh. something or 26. Yeah, Quinn tried to get me to watch it. I fell asleep. And then he tried to get me to watch it a second time. And I fell asleep again. And he tried to, <laughs> <laughs> he shut it off that time. <laughs> And then he tried to get me to watch it with him for his second viewing, and I said no. <laughs> Real quick, one line I love from the movie. Night has fallen, and there's nothing we can do about it. <laughs> <laughs> I, I love that scene with them getting drunk at the campsite. And it goes back like to what Bex was saying. You felt like you were really there with those guys. Yeah, I thought it was that's great. That's exactly how we camp. We just mm -hmm. get extremely drunk, and then we wake up the next day and try to do stuff all hungover. <laughs> We're pretty good at doing we, stuff. I mean, we, Martin splits his head I don't think I tear up my arm sometimes, but no. <laughs> I don't think I've ever gotten, ex I don't know, extremely drunk. Well, you're not camping right. I guess not. <laughs> and I played with you one time, too. <laughs> I thought that, uh, and I hate it whenever, it, it's common in a lot of movies, but I, I hated it that they're loading up the bows and Burt Reynolds turns to John Voight and he says, oh, your glass is getting a little frayed here. Okay, I know that the bow is going to break before the movie's out, right? I mean, it's, it's yeah, it, it happens a lot, but did you check the, Did me. you check the gas? Oh, we'll make it. We'll be fine. It's, <laughs> yeah. yeah. <laughs> oh, the gas is going to run out. Yeah, oh, it God. just... It irks me a little bit. I, I, I sure hope we don't get raped on this trip. <laughs> <laughs> St. Louis, uh, how many camping trips we've been on and how many times we've been raped? None so far. That's right. <laughs> but I feel real good about this one. No, no rape happening this time. <laughs> oh, and then they think that people are chasing them. And what does John Boyd do? He tosses the gun into the river. You do. You get rid yep. of that gun later. Mm -hmm. <laughs>
But I did oh, like I, watching him chuck all that stuff off. I could just watch that for hours. <laughs> <laughs> I snapped my inferior weapon. Now I have a superior weapon with me. But I better get rid of this evidence right now. Well, somebody's <laughs> already dead, so the, the deed's done. <laughs> it didn't carry over. Two, two watches, and I still thought it was just subpar. But you should still watch it. But no. get ready for a lot of canoeing. <laughs> <laughs> well, that seems like just as good a segue as anything to uh, talk about Dr. Dan's new book. Hey. And nice. So there's the cover. And uh, Dr. Dan, you want to tell us a little bit about what the book is about and, and what it is you do? Sure. I, I probably watch movies a little bit differently than other people. There's all the action and the dialogue, but I'm also interested in the facial expressions and what it reveals about the character. So in this case, you have in Deliverance, you know, the John Voight and Burt Reynolds characters tend to show more anger. They're a little more in control. They're the ones who are actually somewhat knowledgeable about being out in the backwoods, particularly Burt Reynolds. The other two characters, the newbies, the novices, are much more given to surprise until we get to the rape scene, at which point the Ned Beatty character, who was, in all honesty, traumatized for the rest of his life by filming that scene, shows a lot of grimacing uh, sadness where the, you know, wince in the cheek. So the acting is, I think, very authentic, uh, probably because it's truly how he felt making, making that, uh, filming that particular scene. But that's kind of what I do. And this book is about my looking at 173 famous people from different walks of life, whether it's rock stars or Hollywood or famous athletes and so forth. And everyone has, you know, signature expressions, patterns, things they fall back into. Uh, the writer George Orwell once said, by the age of 50, a man has the face he deserves. So I am looking <laughs> for those moments where you really get a sense of who someone is, you know, over and beyond what the persona is. And, and that's what I do for a living. And that's what the book is about is it's kind of offering up the secret sauce of how you can read people. Can't uh, necessarily keep you from being lied to, but it can at least improve your odds of winning a poker game. <laughs> so on that note, who are some of your favorite actors? I mean, if you're watching a movie from the facial perspective, then you, you must be seeing genuine emotion, you know, really well portrayed. So, so who, who, who tops your list? I think the person who tops the list is Sean Penn because he mostly plays crazy characters and he's basically <laughs> crazy himself. <laughs> he emotes so much. I mean, every second practically, you know, something's going on in the face. I mean, that guy couldn't play a poker face, you know, character to save his life. That's just not who he is. Uh, the other thing you look for is just, you know, how good the acting is and how much it fits the script. And generally, rule of thumb is that the prettier and more handsome the actor or actress, uh, the worse they are in actually managing. <laughs> That's not why they're there. Um, if you really want to see bad acting, just look at any pharmaceutical TV spot. Uh, that, that's truly bad acting. But um, yeah, <laughs> the pretty faces are not the best acting faces. So then what do you think of, uh, wow. do you notice a difference between like method actors and non-method actors? So let's say Daniel Day-Lewis, for example, who I find to be... a amongst you know with a litany of other people find him to be quite a talented actor do you find do you find you notice a difference with somebody who's method versus traditional or i think if they are caught up in the principle of really taking the character seriously and trying to live that character and be inside that character some people have to work at it some people just do it 
but uh, that's a lot better than the people who it seemingly never read the script and just show up. I mean, you know, if, if I get some movie that's got five or six famous stars and it's later in their career, I generally go, oh, my God, watch out. Um, you know, <laughs> they're going to have a good time together on the set, but we're going to have a bad time watching it. <laughs> Bags, I don't know if you're game enough to ask this. Do you have a question about uh, Robert Downey Jr.? Oh, so, like, yeah. Does, so, Val Kilmer? Yeah. So was, what came up previously was that uh, some actors kind of only have one role and one face. Uh, is Robert Downey Jr. truly an asshole from facial coding standpoint? Um, sh- you know, he's not in my book, but my short answer is yes, I believe. <laughs> and, and you've actually hit on something that's pretty important. I mean, what kind of flexibility do they have? I mean, someone once said of Catherine Hepburn that she shows the entire gamut of emotions from A to B, and <laughs> she's never been my favorite actress. I know she's one of the great, you know, celebrated actresses, but um, generally speaking, I do not enjoy watching Catherine Hepburn all that much. Yeah. I mean, so, I like the African queen, but I take your point. Yeah. <laughs> so in your face, Robert Downey Jr., again. <laughs> well, then I think that we have to ask the follow-up right away. What do you think of Val Kilmer? he's not my favorite (laughs) i I, you know from a facial coding point of view i'm bored um yeah i mean i I don't know how many like actors we can just ask like off the cuff but like one of my favorite performances is uh like ray fines in schindler's list and it's a very complicated role with like a, a huge array of like different emotions and like the character is very complex and what did you think about like him perhaps well you know he's tends to be in the pain category there's a lot of sadness in the characters he plays but he has an expression that you can't really will easily and he does it effortlessly seemingly it's when the inner eyebrows push together and go up and that is a really reliable sign of sadness Mm -hmm. um combined with some fear and you know that's a powerful combination and when you're playing a character where you're trying to really feel the pathos and the empathy and the, the you know the plight of the situation they're in uh, he does that really well. So even though that's definitely, is, to my mind, a signature expression, uh, I, I like it every time I see it just because I feel the power of the role he's playing. Yeah. So Well, I, I do have an uh, actor in specific to ask about. I don't know if you've – well, you've probably studied him, but I don't know if you've studied it in the way it, um, that I'm thinking. So Johnny Depp, prior to selling his soul to Disney – and afterwards, have you seen any changes in his um, facial coding? Well, my, my wife really likes Johnny Depp even after he sold his soul, but I don't. <laughs> so I've been forced to sit through a few movies I'd rather have not seen. Um, I think the only thing I really noticed was less emoting. Your, your emotions turn on. Your muscle movements happen in part when you, you care. You're, you're engaged in the role. And right. I, I, you know... I wouldn't want to bet the farm on it, but my, my basic sense was just a little less engagement. Like, for instance, uh, when Bill Gates stepped down, there was about six months earlier uh, an event where he and Jobs were together. And I was watching Gates that day, and he just wasn't emoting a whole lot. And I went, huh, that's really strange. And then half a year later, he's, he announces he's stepping back at Microsoft. And I went, oh, that makes a whole lot more sense. Because generally speaking, you emote when you care, when you're involved, when you're engaged in your role, your activity, et cetera. And the more you dial that down, then it becomes easier to be poker-faced or, frankly, just indifferent, like, I'm taking the money. Thank you very much, Hollywood. But, uh, you know, I'm essentially out of here. 
Right. So, well, so, so, okay. so, so, so that makes a lot of sense. Actually, you can kind of see it on his face that he's just kind of diminished and like, well, I don't really care, but I'm getting paid a lot of money from Disney from doing this. Yeah, you, you say the lines and the face doesn't really go with it. You know, right. just, the, the synchronicity breaks down. And that's really important because, you know, the truth is we, we dance to the music, not to the words. Uh, you know, I love the fact that uh, Warren Beatty said, take any script and cut it in half. I mean, the, <laughs> yes. the words are important, but if the drama, the, the visuals, the emoting of the actors and actresses, if that stuff's not there, you, you've got a half-baked movie. I mean, maybe the greatest movie of all time is Casablanca. And I love the fact that apparently they started filming it, didn't really like the script. They started going a new direction. And every night the writer set up and, you know, revised the script for the next day. And then they handed it to the actors in the morning and said, this is, this is where the movie's headed. Uh, so that, that freshness to it, um, I really like. I think that's a lot of where the good stuff comes from. It's just the improv. So that kind of hits on, on a question I wanted to ask you. And is there any movies that you can think of specifically? And I know we didn't give you like a screener question. So I, you know, I know we're catching you off guard a little bit. But is there any movies that you can think of specifically that have like what you would consider a dream team of an ensemble cast where, where the actors are really flowing together and, and, and meshing well? Well, I'm a big William Holden fan, and there's a movie from 1969 that, you know, is really almost a movie about Vietnam called The Wild Bunch. And I don't remember, you know, since you did catch me by surprise, I don't remember the name <laughs> of the other actors in the movie, but it's, it's got a pretty stellar cast. It's one of those really late Westerns that's a really cynical Western. And, you know, none of them are the good guy. <laughs> there is no good guy in that movie. Uh, but they just, I think they were having a good time kind of giving the old heave ho to the traditional Western and really reveling in just being badass characters with no redeeming qualities. And so I would say that movie, even though I can't summon up the other actors. So I've forgotten the actor's name, but I, 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 I'd heard an actor say, and he was actually quoting another actor, but he, he had said that you want to play a villain. Because a villain gets almost as much scream time and nobody blames you if the movie sucks. Is there any actors that you can think of that really portray villainous well? Well, um, you caught me by surprise, so I'm, I'm not sure. Yeah, I know. So <laughs> what, I, what I would say instead is what I, what I enjoy most is a bad guy who's got some redeeming qualities or you can see that they once had a soul before they sold out. But there's some conflict and some depth to it and the mixture of the two. That, that's what I really like. I mean, if I took, you know, Lolita, you know, I, I don't really like the Humbert Humbert character, but I love the guy who's toying with him and following him down the road and driving him crazy and shadowing him. I mean, you could say the guy's the savior. You know, he's looking out for Lolita. He's not really, he's mostly enjoying driving Humbert Humbert crazy. And uh, that's that kind of richness and ambiguity that I enjoy. Not yeah. The, not necessarily the straight out villain or the straight out good guy. Cause you know, life isn't like that. There's usually a lot of gray in there. Right. So, uh, all right, Dan, this question is, is kind of interesting to me because I mean, you do this for a living, the, you know, studying emotions and facial recognition. I just, I'm wondering uh, personally, do you find it, easy or is it hard to kind of turn it on and off or are you always doing it with your own personal relationships 
Uh, no more than slightly turn it off because what happens is suddenly I'll see some image or something that grabs my attention. Like uh, back when the Iraq war was started, but before the surge, there was two generals who came to testify to Congress and they're sitting there saying, oh, it's really going well and everything else. And I'm looking at their faces going, oh, no, it's not going well at all. <laughs> right. And, you know, and, and then that's what comes out. I mean, I could be at a party and I, I see an expression across the room. And I go, huh. I wonder what was just said in that conversation, you know, and I'll try to, you know, get myself across the room so that I can maybe eavesdrop a little bit. <laughs> so, um, you know, <laughs> I would say, you know, I try to dial it back sometimes, but, you know, faces are really interesting. Someone once said that the 25 square inches of the most valuable visual territory in the world is from our eyes to our mouth, because you just can tell someone so much about somebody, their characteristic expressions, their reaction in the m moment. Um, you know, what I really do is emotion recognition. So facial recognition is who you are. Emotion recognition is how do you feel, which does also tell you a lot about who you are. So kind of a follow-up to that then is, uh, you know, not getting into anything personal, but has, has, has this ever, has your profession ever gotten you into a sticky situation where you felt like, uh-oh, it would have been better if I hadn't read the facial expressions. Well, I, I was, I remember being on a date once and um, I, the woman said, so what do you do for a living? And I started to tell her and her eyes just went wide with fear. You <laughs> <laughs> need to talk for another 20 minutes plus in, in the uh, coffee shop, but I knew that date was over. <laughs> and the interesting thing to me was I sat there going, huh, so what is it that you're so afraid that I figure out about you? <laughs> I can read your emotions all the time. You know, do you have $85,000 in credit card debt because you're a shopaholic? I mean, what, what is it that's going on here? And, you know, I didn't bother to ask her. I'm sure she wouldn't have told me the truth, but I, I came away, you know, pretty, pretty uh, curious. It must be yeah. best. <laughs> well, you didn't have to find out the hard way either. So that's great. <laughs> that is great, actually. <laughs> and, even, and even before that reaction, in all truth, I wasn't so interested in her. So I was, I was okay when it turned out that way. <laughs> face, it's, face up the sleeve. Whip that out if you ever got to get out of a date. Perfect. That's right. <laughs> if you don't mind, uh, could you maybe do a brief demonstration, for instance, what like what are you feeling from Dane right now? From Dane, well <laughs> now 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 he's nervous. So I, I've got the small <laughs> smile. <laughs> yeah. So I I think of smiles as actually on four different levels. So the the really booming smile is a joy smile where the muscle around the eye uh, tightens, so you get the twinkle in the eye. Mm -hmm. And the the bargain basement of smiles is the really shut short kind of grimace smile that's kind of flares on one side of the face only so uh, when you first said it was going to be dane who was going to be <laughs> asked he, he kind of started out in the bargain basement and then he came up a little bit from that and then he knew we were all scrutinizing him so then what actually showed on his face right was a, a, a chin thrust where the the chin rises and that's a sign of anger and disgust and sadness <laughs> So, uh, that's a, that's a typical a, emotions I, for Banks and Dane. I love this. That's crazy. Yeah, you could break down two seconds of what's going on into five, five minutes of, of description. Wow. That's amazing. So no, much. I, I, yeah, no, it's, it's a lot of fun. I, I, one time I was at a, at a conference, uh, you know, they, I got done with my little speech and the host said, so, uh, you know, ask me a question. So I said, sure. What does your mother-in-law think of you? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> <laughs> both fear and disgust 
And uh, <laughs> you know, I, I proceeded to tell the audience that, and they howled with laughter. <laughs> <laughs> so, and this is something that we're all doing all the time. It's just we haven't trained ourselves to 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 recognize it. I mean, because being able to go into you know, a, an extended explanation of what's happening, that's got to take a lot of training, but we're all doing this all the time, right? Um, yeah, we're just, unfortunately, we kind of like want to be lied to in life. It's amazing how much we go with the words instead. Um, you know, actions speak louder than words and on your face, you give away how you feel. The, the face is the only place in the body where the muscles attach right to the skin. It is quick, real-time data as to what's going on with someone. I mean, let me give you another example. Bernie Madoff, the guy showed almost no emotions on his face. He didn't care about anybody. The only emotion he ever showed basically was smirking. And it's, it's just, it's so perfect that his name is Bernie Madoff. He made off with everyone else's made money. With, yeah. I mean, it's the greatest Ponzi mm -hmm. scheme of all time. You know, you can't make this stuff up. <laughs> so then would it be harder for you to read facial or emotions in somebody who's a, a psychopath or a, a sociopath? Well, I used to go on TV and do that. And after I had been on enough times dealing with psycho killers, my dad called me after I got off the set for whatever TV program I was and said, you're really having fun doing this. And I said, not so much. It's kind of ruining my faith in human nature. <laughs> you look at the darkest corners all the yeah, time. Yeah, but the, the strange thing about the psycho killers is they don't emote when you expect them to do emote and they don't emote properly. So like there was this Chicago policeman who had already been through like three wives all of them dying in mysterious circumstances. And they're asking him about this and the guy's grinning. You know, that, you know, that, that wow. doesn't make you feel so comfortable. <clears throat> and then at another point they were saying, you know, well, what, you know, you, you know, you know, she has parents and you know, now they've lost their daughter. He, he, he showed no emoting at all. He, he couldn't have cared less, you know, that somebody passed on. And so I guess was, that, yeah. I guess that I'm a little curious too about not necessarily the, the psycho killer, but, the, but the, the, the people among us, right? You know, they say a lot of CEOs are psychopaths or, or sociopaths and stuff like that. But do you pick up on that when you're, when you're looking at, at, at a high profile CEO or, or something along those lines that they're not emoting properly? Elon Musk. Well, the, the, <laughs> <laughs> well, Elon Musk is an interesting character, but um, well, it, it's, yeah, I've looked at a lot of CEOs and I've tried to correlate it to stock performance, which is a little tough because they play a lot of games with the buyback of the stocks and all the other stuff that goes on. But sadly, the most reliable indicator of an effective CEO is disgust. They, they tend to have their upper lip flare, their nose wrinkles, they get that chin thrust that Dane showed off for us earlier. Um, so they, uh, Facebook, that guy. Yeah. So my basic conclusion from that, yeah, my basic conclusion from that actually is that it arises from a uh, unwillingness to accept mediocrity that they they push on to something more. And I say that because I, I got to that conclusion first from doing a lot of work looking at pro athletes. I've been profiled on the front page of the New York Times for my work with uh, NCAA Division One athletes and pro teams, mostly uh, football and basketball. And looking at the athletes, it's a lot easier in sports, of course, to know how they performed because you can't hide. It's right out there on the court or on the field. And sure, there can be team chemistry, but there's plenty of individual stats you can look at. And really, the most reliable indicator that I found of a high-performing athlete, I mean, there's variety, of course, there always is, but the single most reliable barometer is disgust. Hmm. Uh, it's a really visceral, powerful emotion. 
but it's a little bit more under control than anger can be sometimes because anger is yeah. the same emotion that, that can sense. get you thrown out of the game by the ref. Oh, so, Michael, Michael Jordan with uh, the top, that's a topical thing right now. What would you say about him? I actually watched a good deal of the last dance. Didn't catch all seven, but, or whatever many episodes, but probably half of them. A uh, couple of things. One is his eyes were open a good deal. Uh, that is a very effective emotion for taking in the court. I mean, literally when your eyes go bigger, your eyebrows rise, you, you see more. And that, that's mm -hmm. awfully helpful when you're moving quickly up and down the court. But there was certainly anger there. There was, there was disgust there. I mean, those are powerful, visceral emotions. I thought almost as interesting was the other two key players. Because in Scottie Pippen, you actually had someone who was kind of sad. Really? Uh, There's kind of a oh, yeah. little With bit his of upbringing. A, yeah, a little bit of a downcast nature to him, which is why I really think he didn't stand alone as a star. He was much better, you know, under the wing of Jordan. Uh, typically, when I've done the work in sports, uh, sadder players have not been great performers. Uh, there was one team, they took this guy from the Knicks in a trade. Uh, he was 6'6", and they said, oh, he's great. He can play four of the five positions. And I looked at his face and said, oh, my God, don't. Don't take him. I said, I, I haven't seen a sadder face than the Indian chief called Chief Rain in the face. <laughs> and they, they took the guy, and he was locker room poison. He didn't do well on the court. It was just – it was a miserable failure. So uh, if I'm hearing Dennis you correctly, Rackham. though, if, I, if I'm hearing all this correctly, I'm trying to take notes. If I act disgusted with big eyes and I'm not sad, I can be a CEO of a major corporation. This, this is the difference. <laughs> day, day after tomorrow. I, I expect a call back, and, and that's what's happening. Um, the, the other interesting person on that team was Rodman, of course, mm -hmm. who also had pretty big eyes sometimes, but he had this devilish grin. I mean, he just loved – you know, doing the, you know, the unusual and ripping the ball away from somebody else and throwing the behind the looks, you know, pass, outlet pass to somebody. So you had really pretty, pretty much three different personality types who just meshed thanks to the talent level that was involved. All right, everybody. I think that uh, we're going to sign off now. But uh, Dr. Dan, we certainly thank you immensely for coming on the show. It's, it's, it's very interesting. Everybody, if you're interested in this topic, go out, check out Dr. Dan's book, try and support your local uh, independent bookstores. And uh, are you, is there an audio version available? No, because my, my books have a lot of visuals in them. I mean, I've, I've got a photograph of most of these celebrities in the book. Um, so that doesn't work really well for Kindle or audio books. Uh, yeah, it just works best if it's on the paper. All right, so go check out those, uh, those, those good old-fashioned books. And uh, Bags, you want to handle our call to action? Sure. Um, I know you can find uh, Dr. Dan's book, uh, Famous Faces Decoded, on Amazon. Uh, where else can we find it? Well, if you go through my website, which is the obligatory three Ws and then sensorylogic.com, as in your five senses, I've got a page right there where it's easy to order the books. Excellent. So go to sensorylogic.com to order Dan's new book and all of his other books, I believe, are on there. Uh, yep. Correct. Um, also, uh, you have a blog. I forgot the address for that. That one is emotionswizard.com, emotions, plural, wizard.com. It's called Faces of the Week, and I try to rip something off from the headlines, whether it's politics or sports or God knows what. Uh, probably going to be doing one very shortly on what we can actually see when we, we're wearing a mask during the virus, which isn't a whole lot. 
Uh, we have 23 different <laughs> expressions and only five of them are noticeable above the mask or, you know, if, if we're wearing one. So definitely, definitely check out uh, Dan's blog. I've been uh, seeing it a little bit on Twitter and LinkedIn and it, it is very up to date and current and gives you a chuckle every now and then. Um, for us, we like to do a segment called Call to Action, which is actually an outline of the podcast, but we like to say it explicitly so that way it doesn't make any sense. If you like this show, please subscribe, follow, like, comment, and above all else, care on any and all of our social media outlets. You can find us at After the Movie Podcast on YouTube and anywhere that you listen to your subscribed podcast. Additionally, if you would like to interact with us even more, you can find us on our Twitter handle at After the Movie PC, which is where uh, we actually found Dr. Dan. You can be our next guest on our show, but you're probably not as smart as him. Whistle for Cam, Mikey, the lights place impression that had dice in the mirror. Anything that I can say, this camp is rare. Said, nah, man, forget it, home to Bel